Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look briefly at the birth narrative, Luke chapter 2. And I love having the kids here. Uh, I hope and pray that your children uh, just love coming to church. And so having all the family here together, if your kids run around a little bit, that's okay. If they're making some noise, that's okay too. It just, just a good reminder that we got a church that's got a future because we've got some children here. So this being a Christmas service, we're just grateful that you're here and your kids are with you. Well, Luke chapter 2, we come to this birth narrative and uh, it's probably one of the most uh, read passages of Scripture. Um, the amazing part about this passage is that it's incredibly simple, uh, that the smallest of children can read this story, read this passage, and gain understanding from it. It, it needs very little interpretation. You just read it. You just, just stand in awe of it. It's incredibly simple. At the same time, it's amazingly profound. It, it contains uh, probably one of the most uh, deep spiritual truths that we hold dear as Christians, that, that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And so that idea, it's so profound, it's so deep that we can hardly get our minds around it. And the believer who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years and studying God's word can still stand in awe of the truth that's contained in this passage. So what I want us to do this morning, we're just going to read through it. I'm going to briefly make comment. You know, it reminded me when, when Faith and I had the opportunity years ago to Israel, there were certain places you would go to that you didn't want the, the, the guy to talk. You know, you'd had the, you got the guide with you, and there's sometimes where you just wanted everybody to be quiet. Let's just, let's just stand in awe of this place that we're in. This morning, I, I want us to, to look at a passage that we're all familiar with, but I, I pray we just kind of stand in awe and wonder again at the God who loves us and God who came for us. So let me pray for us, then we'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today on this Christmas day. And God, to celebrate your wonderful love and the giving of your son, Jesus. And I pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word. You'd encourage us today in these moments and God, I pray as always that if there's anybody watching online or in this room that doesn't know you, that today on this Christmas day, they'd receive the greatest gift ever known to man, the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his precious and holy name. Amen. Well, look with me. It's verse 1, chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quinarius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. We see here Caesar Augustus. It's a reminder of uh, this nation that is held captive by the Romans, and they're in a bad spot. Caesar Augustus. Augustus means honorable. It's a title that he's given to himself, and so this is a very prideful uh, dictator. And he decrees a census be taken. And it's an unusual census because we know of census being taken, but we don't have any in which the, they were decreed to go to their hometown. And yet on this occasion, he decrees it to be so. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that significant? Well, it's incredibly significant because Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth, and Micah the prophet has declared that Jesus will be born where? He'll be born in Bethlehem. 
And so you see here, even in the opening verses of this passage, that God's hand is overriding the heart of a king to accomplish his perfect purposes and will. It's a reminder as we study all of God's word that God is sovereign over history. That God is sovereign over the activities of kings. And here, he overrides the heart of a king to work in accordance of his, of his will and to maneuver Joseph and Mary to the town of Bethlehem. In verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and the family of David. They go to Bethlehem, also known as the city of David. And this is significant, incredibly significant, because God had prophesied, he had told David, that one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. And so God brings them to this city of David in fulfillment to the prophecy and the promise that he made to David. It's also significant because David is a type of Christ. We see this even in Samuel, but David is a type of Christ. David is the, the good shepherd. He's the beloved of the father. He's obedient. He is the king that the nation rejected. And you remember, he went away. He had to leave the nation. And when he went away, he took a bride to himself named Abigail, the beloved of God. And he returned suddenly. And he put down the rebellion. And he rewarded the righteous and the faithful. Does that remind you of anybody? The one who is the beloved of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The one who is perfectly obedient, the good shepherd who comes to the nation, they crucify him, the nation rejects him, and he goes away as he's done today, and what is he doing? He's calling out a bride unto himself, the church, the ecclesia, the beloved of God, and one day he will return as the rightful king, and he will put down the rebellion, and he will reward the righteous. Isn't God a wonderful God? In all of this, this narrative, we're seeing God bring about a perfect fulfillment to what he promised would occur. In verse 5, it says, In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. There's a, an important reminder here that Mary and Joseph are engaged. It was a betrothal. It's a little more significant than the engagement we know but this is important because it reminds us that Mary and Joseph have not come together. That Mary is a virgin. This is incredibly critical to our faith in Jesus Christ. Because listen to me today. If Jesus is born of Mary and Joseph, then he's just a man. And if he's just a man, he's not qualified to die for our sins. But scripture goes overboard. It's abundantly clear that Jesus is the, the, the virgin born son of God. The only explanation for Christ's conception is that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And as the virgin born son of God, he's qualified, uniquely qualified to die for our sins. In verse 6, it says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
So Christ is born, and, and they, they would have taken, it's almost like as the child was born, it was almost a dedication ceremony, because the initial thing they would do is they'd take the baby and they would rub the baby in salt. It, salt was a picture of purity and holiness. It was a, it was a, it was a preserver, and so as the, the family would do this, they would pray over their child. God preserved them, helped them to be holy. The ir- irony of this is so clear that, that they're dedicating this child to be holy, before God and he is holiness incarnate he is God and then they would take the the claws and they would wrap the 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 feet of the baby and they'd wrap them straight really tight and their prayer was that God you would make this child walk straight with you they'd have a straight path and as they would dedicate this child Jesus he is the perfect son of God the beloved of God who would always walk in perfect obedience and fellowship with God the Father. The symbolism here is beautiful. And it says that there was no room for them in an inn. They placed Jesus in a manger. We often picture it as this wooden feed trough. It was more than likely just a large stone with a carved out center of brass rings around the edges. You'd tie your donkeys off to those brass rings and the donkeys would eat from the trough. Here is Jesus laid in a manger. It's again, as we saw last night on Christmas Eve, it's the greatest descent ever known to man from the heights of heaven to a manger and a feed trough, humbling himself for our salvation. And then they they placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's it's a powerful picture because there were people that, that... that missed Christ, the, the Savior of the, born, uh, the world was born right there, right there among them, and they missed him. I've often thought about this. Why did they miss him? Um, some of them were probably busy. Their activities of life overwhelmed them, and they just weren't noticing what was occurring right, right under their noses. And so many people, they miss Christ today. They're busy with their lives. They're accomplishing their own goals, and they never stop about a, and think about a Savior who was born for them. Well, looking on, what does it say? Verse 8, in the the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, but they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The very first group of people who get an announcement of Christ's birth are a group of shepherds. And think about this, of all the people who could have been the first recipients of the news, why in the world would you... Uh, send the, the declaration out to a group of shepherds. Shepherds were a gr- lowly group of people, humble. They, they stunk because sheep, if you've ever been around them, if you've ever, you, you can smell them from quite a ways. They're stinky and, uh, individuals. And so here, these shepherds, these stinky, lowly shepherds are the first to receive the news of the Savior's birth. Think, think about when your child was born. Who was the first person that you called? Who was the first person that you let know that your child had been born? I guarantee you this, whoever it was, it was somebody who was pretty important to you, somebody that you loved dearly. 
What is God demonstrating when he tells us that the first to receive the news of Christ's birth is shepherds? He's letting us know that God loves everyone. He's letting us know that God didn't come for the wealthy. He didn't come for the elite. He didn't come for those who were self-righteous and religious. He came to save the world from their sins. So these shepherds get the news and they're told, we're bringing you good news. There's a Savior who has been born for you. In many ways, it's good news. In some ways, to them, it was bad news. Because essentially what the angels are saying, somebody has come who is going to put you out of business. Because there's a lot of people who believe that these shepherds were known as the shepherds of the Migdal Eater. That they were shepherds just outside of Jerusalem who raised sheep to be sold as sacrifices in the temple. And so the, 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 the angels showing up, they're saying somebody is coming who is going to make the need for sheep to be slaughtered, make that business obsolete. Because God has now sent the perfect lamb. For years and years, these people had brought their own lambs. Now God has sent his lamb. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So they tell these shepherds, there's a, there's a savior that's been born for you. And then they tell them that the, the baby, you'll find the baby. This will be a sign for you. You'll, you'll find a baby wrapped in claws. Now, that would not be unusual. But you'll find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. A baby among beasts. That's unusual. And, and what, is, what is the response of the shepherds? If you, if you look down in, uh, in verse uh, 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to this. I love this about the shepherds because when you are told that the Savior of the world has been born for you, what do you do? You don't say, oh, that's great. I think I'll wait a couple of weeks before I go check it out. No, they go straight away. That's the response of man. When you learn that God loves you so much that he sent his son to come and die for your sins, you don't put that off. You, you take action. You move on it immediately. So in light of this news, everything else in their life takes a back seat. We want to go meet this Savior. In verse 16, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who wondered, all who heard it, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. So these shepherds, they not only go and meet Jesus and see Jesus, but guess what they want to do? They want to tell other people about the Savior that's been born. That's the reaction of us. We hear about a Savior, we respond to him, we trust him, we meet him, and then we want to tell other people about him. And here's the shepherds, they're wanting to tell the world. But what is the, world, the response of the world? The world just wonders. They can't get their mind around this. Imagine these shepherds, these stinky, lowly shepherds showing up and telling you, hey, there's been a Savior been born, we've seen angels. And remember, not a lot of miracles have been occurring the word of God has been silent for 400 years, and now they're telling you the Savior of the world has shown up. Angels have appeared to us, and the world says, we don't understand this. And as I thought about that, in so many ways, that represents the gospel message we proclaim. We go out to a world and tell them about a Savior who left the glory of heaven, came to earth, 
born of a virgin, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, was placed in a tomb, was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, now is at the Father's right hand, and one day he's coming back to judge the quick and the dead. And the world looks at us like we got three heads. What in the world are you talking about? They can't get their minds around it. And then we see what is the reaction of Mary in verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. It's a good reminder that, that Mary, while she's an incredible example of faith, Mary is to be honored, but she's not a co-redemptress. Mary's a sinner just like you and me, and she's a mom. And what is she doing? She's seen. Can you imagine how astonished? We know she believes in God. We know she believes in Messiah. But she had to be wondering, what in the world is going on? These shepherds showing up with this great news. And all these events Guess what, she's just, she just keeping them as memories, like all great moms do, wondering at what God had done. And then the, the last response to me is the greatest. Look in uh, verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that had, uh, they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. These shepherds, they go back to their old stinky jobs. Nothing's really changed. They go back to their old stinky jobs, but now guess what? They got a little skip in their step. And they got a little joy in their heart. And they got a song on their lips. Why? Because they met the Savior of the world. Doesn't that demonstrate us? Uh, we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, sometimes our circumstances don't change. Just because you trust in Christ doesn't mean you won't have health problems. Just because you trust in Christ doesn't mean that you'll automatically have all your financial problems fixed. Just because you trust in Christ doesn't mean that your job situation will immediately change. I'll tell you what will change your heart. You know Jesus Christ, he'll give you a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. And we as Christians, there ought to be no more joyful people in all the world. As I was reading today, that's uh, uh, two things I, uh, that I thought about. Number one, uh, a Christmas carol at the end where Scrooge wakes up and it's Christmas Day and realizes he gets another chance at this deal. And he, the, the old, I like the old, old version, the old black and white version, and he can't contain his joy. You remember what he's saying? I went back and watched it this week, and, and uh, he's saying, I, I don't know what I don't know. And he's just happy. He just, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm happy it's Christmas Day and I'm having fun. And that ought to be us as believers. There's a joy in our hearts. It also reminded me, uh, you, you see these shepherds going back to their old jobs with a skip in their step. It reminded me of the story of Cinderella, you know, that old fairy tale. And uh, she's got the evil stepmother and she's in a bad situation. And uh, somehow, strange turn of events, she gets to go to the ball. And uh, there at the ball, she meets the great prince. And uh, then, you know, clock strikes midnight, all goes back. The chariot's gone. The horses are gone. But she goes back to working. But if you look at that story carefully, she goes back and she's still scrubbing floors and mopping floors. But now she's got a song in her heart. Now she's got joy in her life. Why? Because she met somebody. And her hope is that he'll come for her. That's us as believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, we still live in a dark world. We still face struggles and trials, but we have joy in our heart because we met the Savior of the world, and we know that one day he's coming back for us. Listen to me. This is the good reminder as we study this 
this Christmas story. One day Christ is coming back, just as assuredly as he came the first time, he's coming back again. But listen to me this, this morning. The next time he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's not coming back as the lamb to die. He'll come back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will judge those who have rejected him, and he will reward the righteous and the faithful. My question to you this morning is, do you know him? On this Christmas day, does the joy of Christ reside in your heart because you've trusted in him and your eternal destination is secure? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, to be reminded of this wonderful, simple, yet profound story of the birth of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a reminder that, God, you are not uh, distant or aloof. You're not a God who spun creation into motion and then walked away. You're a God who loves the whole world. And you intervened in history to bring about a means of salvation for us. God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning or watching online that doesn't know you, I pray today on this Christmas day they receive the greatest gift ever known to man, the free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. God, for those of us that do know you, God, I know that the the people watching online, those in the room this morning, the circumstances of their life may not be great this Christmas. Things have changed. Maybe this Christmas is tough. But Lord, I pray that no matter what our circumstances, there'd be a joy in our heart because we know the Savior of the world and we know he's coming back for us. God, just bless us to have joy regardless of our circumstances that we might display the wonders of what Christ has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.